This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. What's up? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here on Bye Week. Our second Bye Week is here. It's nice having a second Bye Week, isn't it? It's, a, it's, it's lovely how... Uh... The pandemic has set this up, correct, Jeffrey? You're very correct. I, uh, you know, I won't lie. Like, well, this is supposed to be the weekend when UCF football is going to play uh, FAMU, and mm-hmm. well, we all know how that went. But, um, but I, I will say, I like this two bye week thing, guys. I think I could get used to it. Well, and for UCF, speaking seriously, like, you know, three games, you have a bye week. Three more games, you have a bye week. Three more games into the season. It's a nice little. I won't, it won't be the end of the season, Murph. We got a bowl game. We got to we got to talk about. Yeah. Everybody makes a bowl it, game, right? It, it, well, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. We'll see if we All get right. to a bowl season if there is one. Oh, there's going to be a bowl season, Eric. Anyway, we're gonna we're talk we're gonna talk about that. Listen, we're, we're gonna uh, it, it'll be a relatively short show this week. We've got um, because of the bye week. Famous, famous last words. Yeah, that's relatively- exactly. Um, Keep that in mind. Two hours later. <laughs> yes. Um, we're not going to spend that much time on the Houston game, so that should help because that feels like, like Murph, you were telling us just before we went on the air, this feels like a month ago, right? I mean, it was only like five days ago, but geez, Louise, I, I mean, lots I, happened yeah. since then. <laughs> I, really, I really can't believe that game was only five days ago because in my mind, it was a number of weeks ago, but we can definitely run through it, but I don't even know if that was this season or last season or whatever. Right. Well, no, I, I got a couple questions for you guys that I want to – well, actually one question that I want to ask for you guys. We'll talk about the – how should we term this? Personnel moves on the on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, a little bit later, we got some schedule news on uh, men's basketball, some late-breaking schedule news. And uh, what else? Oh, uh, apparently uh, Mr. Lopez has some baseball schedule scoopage that we need to talk about. So um, – Lots to so lots to get to, but let's first dive in um, <clears throat> with uh, UCF football on their bye week and some Murph scoopage, a Murph bomb dropping uh, a little earlier this week. Ew, I hate it. <laughs> uh, after UCF's, uh, uh, well, well, let's let's just back up the timeline a little bit to just before the uh, Houston game. It turns out, of course, it was right after we go. Uh, we finished recording. Um, Antoine Collier was reported to have been arrested uh, on some pretty serious charges, including felony um, gun possession, uh, third degree felony, and uh, driving with a suspended license. Um, did not, uh, he, obviously, he did not make the trip. And then we find out Saturday morning, as UCF is getting ready to play Houston, that several other players um, did not make the trip to Houston uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and then, uh, and then Murph, you, uh, just give me the, give, give me the, the, the TikTok here. What Saturday morning you're in Houston for the game and, and then the, uh, video gets released by, I think it was night news. Is that right? Correct. Nightnews.com, uh, basically releases the, into- the, the, all, the, all of the body cam, uh, police body cam footage from UCF PD from all of the officers involved. The arresting officer, the supporting officers on the scene who were talking to uh, Aaron Robinson, Brandon Moore, and Eric Mitchell, who were riding with Antoine Collier, but also the body cam footage of the officers who were dealing with the other UCF players who were 
were basically witnessing the arrest from across the street. Apparently, there were two cars full of UCF players coming back onto campus, and once the second car saw uh, that Collier and the others had been pulled over, they stopped and were watching from across the street. That group included Kenny Tunier and uh, Randy Charlton. So all the video goes out. We're all watching it. And then, you know, I, I watched the entire video uh, from all angles. And then you're watching basically the, uh, the pregame warm-ups as we usually do. Like, okay, well, who's here and who's not here? And obviously we knew that Antoine Collier wouldn't be there. Uh, and then the defensive line group was like one of the first groups to come out and warm up. And hey, there's no Randy Charlton, no Kenny Tunye. Uh, you look at full, you look at once they get in full uniforms. Hey, there's no there's no Eric Mitchell out here either. And uh, soon enough, right before the game starts, uh, I get a, no- a notification from a a source who says, here are the five players who aren't playing in this game: uh, Kenny Tunye, Eric Mitchell. Uh, Antoine Collier, Brandon Moore, Randy Charlton. Brandon Moore obviously not playing, but he wasn't even at the game either. And no reason is given, no specific reason is given. Uh, it's not said whether or not they're suspended. All we know is they just are not here. And so it, it's kind of nuts because now you're like, well, we didn't, we didn't, you know, know how UCF's defense was going to react with those guys against a really high-powered Houston team. Now they're without them. And then they go out and play their best defensive effort of the year. So big road win for UCF, who's now four and two uh, in the uh, four and two overall, and uh, t- and a three and two in the conference. Okay, so fast forward to after the game, Josh Heupel basically hints at a statement uh, that and. and but doesn't really give anything much of substance in the post game. I don't think Murph, right? And then, yeah, yeah, and then, and then. So uh, fast forward to uh, today, uh, recording this obviously a day late, November third, November fifth. Rather, this is uh, Thursday, and uh, Josh Heupel addresses the media. And before we go to the bite, what was the basic uh, premise of the of the presser earlier today, Murph? Well, obviously, the basic premise was you know Josh Heupel usually talks on Thursdays even during bye weeks, but this one was, well, it had just been basically, you know, reported uh, through through me and others that UCF has now dismissed four players uh, from this team, and they are Randy Charlton, Kane Tunier, Antoine Collier, uh, and Eric Mitchell, uh, you know, and so basically that is the tenor of this conversation. It was mostly about, you know, you know, the, basically the Heupel's reasoning, you know, why, you know, why, why he did what he did and asking questions about that but we can go ahead and play Heibel's opening statement here we can start with Heibel's opening statement before we asked any questions here's what he had to say to us uh, when you're part of this program uh, for all of us here uh, there's standard and, and expectation that uh, all of us have to meet um, when you don't meet that uh, meet those uh, there's consequences uh, to those and um, uh, you know for a few very young men uh, they don't have no longer uh, will be representing us on the field. Uh, it's a teaching moment for everybody inside of our program, opportunity for all of us to, to get better. Um, defines uh, some of these young men's today, but uh, they still have bright futures and, and uh, uh, their tomorrow is still bright. Um, we're gonna continue to support them uh, academically and, and with health services. A few of them are, are close to graduation. 
I uh, want to make sure that uh, that we see that through with them and um, and make sure that they uh, are able to get that degree. So there's Josh Heupel talking about the expectations and the standards that are within this program. And as he says, when you don't meet those standards, there are consequences. Um, but still, also, you know, it was nice to at least hear him talk about that. Just because those players are not on the team anymore, the program will will you know help them uh, academically. They want you know Heupel wants to see them get their degrees. You know, a lot of those guys are upperclassmen and they're they're about to graduate and, and Heupel wants to see them graduate from here. Um, so that was nice. And then really, you know, we can talk about what Heupel said in these eight or nine minutes. I, I think the the only other portion of this of this presser that I think people really need to hear is a question in which Heupel was asked what it really it feels like for him as a coach to dismiss players from his own team, here's what he had to say to that question. Uh, hurts um, that um, you know some of uh, some of our, our players um, won't have an opportunity to continue to to do what they love to do here um, and, and represent us. Um, hurts coaches, hurts players. Um, <clears throat> it is. It, it's uh, it's your family, and uh, uh, so for it's difficult. Um, not a good day uh, having those uh, those conversations. Worst day as a uh, as a coach. There's Josh Heibel basically saying that you know doing what he did for those for those four players. The worst day for him as a coach. Um, now you've heard those two bites. I will say to you out front, nothing else of note came out of the eight minutes we spoke to Josh Heibel. A lot of <laughs> questions were asked of him about uh, you know why he made this decision. Obviously, you know, there were five players who were, who were, uh, you know, for all, you know, for all intents and purposes, five players who were suspended from the Houston game. Uh, so, so what, so why is Brandon Moore still on this team, but the other four aren't? Is this a matter of um, previous offenses leading to a, a dismissal? Is this something else we don't know? Uh, you know, who, who else did he, you know, confide in and, and really talk to, to come to this decision? Did he talk to other coaches, UCF athletics executives? Any players on the team or the team leadership council? Any specifics about any of this? We got nowhere with that. With that, um, Josh Heupel still does not want to mention the players by name. When he released a statement about um, about the dismissal on Wednesday, he did not mention the players then and would only say that some young men are no longer with our program. Um, really, and so we don't have a lot of new information about. You know why Josh Heupel did what he did, and sort of the sort of the uh, the path he traveled to sort of get here. I will say that um, if there's one thing that I think uh, is clear, and it's something that I brought up with Eric and Andrew after the game, we were talking from I was talking from the field or from mm-hmm. the stands in Houston, and I assumed that the reason those guys weren't here outside of Collier, obviously because he was arrested and, and did something illegal. The other guys technically didn't do anything illegal, but I assumed that the reason they didn't travel is because it must have been because of their interactions with police, where there was a lot of shouting, some cursing, um, you know, just some disrespectful words. And and during this press conference today on Thursday, Heupel did basically say, you know, you can just look at the footage. We looked at the footage and made a decision. So certainly the decision to dismiss these players, um, out, you know, outside of Collier, obviously. The other ones was fully based off of their actions and interactions with police, full stop. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Um, the, all right, so so here we are. UCF having played well on and and obviously I don't want to I don't want to dismiss the seriousness of this, but but as far as we can tell, the only thing that we can really talk about, at least at this point, with any sort of insight, is the football aspects of this. So, um, well, let me just chime in real quick. Oh yeah, go ahead. I just I'll add to this uh, two things, and I want Murph's thoughts on the second thing. But the first thing is. If the players are not out, regardless, because there have been a lot of back and forth of what the transpired and all that. If the players are not out at two thirty or three in the morning on game night, none of this happens. None of what 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 followed happens. They're probably on the team. They're playing. That's the disappointing part. I think everybody can agree with that. But it, it wasn't. And again, this might be semantics, but it wasn't game night. It was game week. I misspoke. I misspoke. Game week. Thursday morning, so well they were going to fly out the next day. It was it was the night before. It was the night before they fly out, right? On a game week, on a game week. So you're in theory. I mean, I don't know when was it. Uh, whatever the night was, they could have been doing you know whatever. The point is, I I think we all know every coach would prefer would want their players not to be out that late on a game week, right? Uh, all right. And so all I think- players, as far as as far as where the players were, every one of them, when asked by police, because they were all asked said that they were at a family function. All right. <laughs> so, well, yeah. So, we'll, now, the only other thing I'll add, Murph, you, you brought up about the video and, and that being the reasons for the did. And that's probably true. And I'm just speculating here. But I'm going to bring it up only because people have asked me this question. Do you think that possibly there have been other instances where those certain individuals perhaps – had committed uh, had some issues with the team, either team violations or whatever you want to describe it as, that this might have been more of a last straw than a first offense. I know there's no way to prove that. We may never know that. But I, is that a possibility as well? Because you brought up the question of certain guys, that how they dealt with it and how that would judge. But this could also be a factor of, hey, this guy's kind of – this is not the first time he's gotten in trouble, especially the seniors. They should know better type of deal. Do you, what do you respond to that? Like I said, I sort of asked it rhetorically a couple minutes ago. Maybe I had something to do with it, but we have no idea. It's right. total speculation, uh, total hypotheticals. Uh, again, but it has to be asked, right? Because, again, if you suspended five players from the Houston game, and I know they may not have been technically suspended, but it is what it is. If, you, if, you, if they didn't travel, if five players didn't travel, why are four of the players gone and one of them is still on the team? Obviously, there's a difference there. Uh, and, I, and, and obviously that question was asked, and, and we did not get an answer. Uh, again, he did not want to go into specifics about that. Uh, and, and so we don't know. We don't know. And for what it's worth, guys, uh, because obviously, you know, for the seniors, everyone gets an extra year, right, because of the pandemic. If you're a senior, you can still come back and play an extra year. But I, I, I think it's pretty clear that that the there's not going to be any anybody, like, there's not going to be fin- – the fence is mended. They're not going to come back. They're not going to be reinstated next season. And to that point, you've already seen Kenny Tunye announced on social media today that he's already in the transfer portal. Yeah. Um, so these guys will probably all leave. And, uh, and you know, I mean, I, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens with all of them. Obviously, uh, I wish them the best of luck. I am of the camp that they made a mistake. And I don't want to, like, legislate as far as, you know, was this, was this the proper uh, penalty? I don't know because it's not my decision to make. And it really, it was probably only up to Hypel in the in 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 the majority sense, but uh, they made a mistake. We shouldn't crucify them. They are still young men of 21, 22 years old. 
Uh, they have a long, long life ahead of them. And, you know, you can still see them being very successful, productive members of society. I, I just feel like I have to say that because I feel like when this sort of thing happens, people get an image of someone off of one episode in life, and then that's who they are. But that's just not fair. Right. Amen no. to that. Preach. No, right? Amen point. to that. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, but, Jeffrey, the funny, the amazing thing is they played their best defensive game of the year without them. And right. I think that's a lot about this group. So, I, yeah, that's where I want to turn our focus over to, you know, to, at, at this point is – we saw a defense that that played really hungry after that initial after that first quarter where things were a little rocky. Surprise, surprise! This year, right? Um, yeah. The guys who played for the for the four guys who were not who didn't make the trip who were active, obviously Bam Moore also, but uh, but he's not playing. But they all uh, contributed very well. So who get who Murph are the names that we are going to hear more of. I know Cam Good played particularly well. Um, and uh, by the way, our buddy Joe uh, Broback also from um, <clears throat> from uh, Underdog Dynasty uh, had, a, had a couple of nice breakdowns of him. But uh, who are some of the other guys who we're going to be hearing more of now with these uh, with, with this group of four uh, not around anymore? Well, obviously, you know, UCF has been rotating their defensive linemen, you know, throughout the game every week. You know, UCF technically plays... 12 defensive linemen in a game. Up, they, you know, at least that's what Shane Burnham wants to do. He wants to play somewhere between 12 to 13 or excuse me, defensive linemen every game. So without Tunier and Charlton, there'll be some familiar names that guys that people have heard of because you see them every week. But you know, Noah Hancock stands out, gets a sack in this game. You mentioned Cam Good, who I thought at defensive tackle, um, he's just he, he's not he's just he's got that size where it's really hard to get leverage on him because he's not he's not a very big guy. And, but he really knows how to move, how to move the pocket, get pressure in the middle of the field, which can really disrupt every quarterback's timing and reading the field. So he was really good in this game. Landon Woodson got a start and got a pressure. So I think in the front, those are the guys you have to see step up more. Uh, in the, at the second level, where Eric Mitchell was and now is is gone, Tatum Bethune gets the start here, gets eight tackles, second most on the team, a tackle and a half for loss, and two pass breakups. Uh, really fantastic. Great uh, obviously, game there's by one him, clip yeah. of Tatum. There's one clip of Tatum Bethune making the rounds where Houston uh, throws out a screen pass into the flat. Uh, it wasn't only really a screen pass, but they throw a pass into the flat, and Bethune just goes uh, between three to, uh, three blockers and just darts in between them on his way to making the, a, a TFL. Uh, really good way to just avoid contact and get the you know go you know. Um, Get to the ball carrier the fastest way possible, the most direct way possible. Really good, guy, really good play by a really young player. Um, and then in the secondary, we're going to see a lot more Derek Gaines. And Derek Gaines, uh, you know, led team, led team in tackles, uh, which maybe you don't want from your safety, but he's a guy that you saw get the interception, his first of his career against Tulane. He will now be, for all intents and purposes, starting in Collier's place for the rest of the year beside Richie Grant and and. It just so happens that Devon Wilson is here. He has been freed at, from at long last. For help. At long last, welcome <laughs> aboard, Devon. <laughs> and not not a second too soon. Uh, he, you know, obviously a lot of pub around him transferring in from Georgia. Another underclassman uh, and and got in really because there was a play. I forget what quarter it is, but Aaron Robinson got banged up for a play. Uh, near near the UCF's goal line, 
and they brought Devon in for, for that one play. And then really from there, for really most of the second half of that game, he was on the field and basically, you know, the five or, you know, either as the nickelback or in, in dime packages, um, had a really nice pass breakup along the sidelines to force a punt uh, on third, uh, on a third, uh, third down pass breakup. He is going to be huge for that secondary. Obviously, you know, you've got the young freshman corners outside, outside, um, but but Devon Wilson, who does have some experience and experience at the SEC level, no less, is going to play a lot of football. Looked pretty good in this game for his first time, uh, really playing football in, in quite a while. Yeah. So, well, that's that was good to see. I I, I know that that was a, a lot of us were really nervous heading into that game, thinking, oh man, this is you know Houston's well, got a good uh, more offense. Specifically, more specifically, you were worried. Well, yeah, <laughs> no, I'm worried. I'm worried all the time. What did I say all week? We talked about how crazy it is that this game had an over/under of 82, uh, the the largest over/under in two years, basically. Yep. In college uh, football. I hope, you, hope nobody had like, the over. We all, <laughs> we all were worried. We all, but you know who was one guy that wasn't worried, guys? We should have been you all along, apparently. You? No, not me. Not at all. No way. I was just like you guys. I didn't think so either. But Dylan Gabriel knew, and as he mentioned uh, after the game in Houston, he was never concerned about the defense. He knew that the guys would step up. I wasn't necessarily concerned. I was just more excited for the opportunity for the guys to step up. You know, that's, that might be a, a opportunity, you know, obviously it was, you know I mean? Disappointing for those guys, but a huge opportunity for the young guys to come in step in and, and go make plays. So, you know, I try to look at all the positives. Um, <clears throat> it, was, it was so such a blessing for those guys to come in and be able to play. And then, you know, obviously show out what they did only allowing the, the offense, uh, Houston's offense to 14 points. You know, I gave up, you know, one of the seven. So, I mean, they played a hell of a game. That was Dylan Gabriel after the Houston game there. Uh, Murph, I mean, what would you think? I mean, I thought that was the thing that was impressive to me in the reaction of the players. You know, they felt bad for the guys that weren't there, but they, there wasn't a sense of, oh, man, we're kind of – what's going – there was no they, – they I thought they rallied around that and played a really solid game. And I thought you heard Dylan mention that. he was They were confident in the guys that step up. And sometimes – it takes situations like this where guys like, hey, this is my opportunity to shine, and you've learned some things from these guys. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we've talked about because of the – even before the season with the opt-outs, UCF's defense was kind of thin already. And now not only are they losing more players, they're losing starters. They're losing guys who have started games for multiple seasons. And yet, with, with even despite that, not only do they play well – but this is this has long-term impacts too. This is confidence building for games and weeks and seasons down the road that these guys could go on the road against a team that, to be frank, guys, I don't think UCF has beaten a team of this quality on the road since you could argue Memphis in 2018. Uh, and, and for them to play so well defensively, you know, basically, you know, against an offense that averages 37 points a game, they give up 14 uh, or you know, 12, you know, so uh, really fantastic job. And I, I think I, the players, certainly the players, to your point, Eric, uh, it hurt them to not have the guys, you know, that they've always been playing alongside. It hurt them not to have them out there. I think they do feel bad for them in the situation that they are in. But they have, you have no choice, right? It's always next man up. Right. I mean, you hear that in sports and in football since you're in, since you're in peewee ball. And so I think there was never any doubt in these guys, Dylan, uh, or any you know, like Richie Grant or anybody else who practices with these guys, see them on the practice field three, four times a week to know they could come in here and step it up and the moment wouldn't be too big for them. 
And I don't think you saw that all game long. I don't think you saw one time where you go, wow, I really wish we had so-and-so at that spot instead of this guy. Uh, all of those guys acquitted themselves really well as if they'd been playing for multiple seasons. It, it speaks to, I mean, these guys' ability to, I know this, this sounds like it's downplaying it, but compartmentalize it. Right. I mean, we talk about all the time about the, you know, team chemistry and team camaraderie. And when you lose, you know, four guys, you know, the guy I think of a lot is uh, in particular is Eric Mitchell. He's a senior middle linebacker, a lot of experience. He's gone. And, you know, not not, you know, obviously the other guys, I don't mean to diminish their their contributions to the team at all. But that's and, and, you know, Kenny Tunier is really, really seen as the leader on the defensive line, too. So. You're missing the leaders on your on 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 the front two on the front uh, the 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 front two uh, lines of the defense. I mean, it's yeah. a huge loss. That's there's no on field. Yes, certainly a huge loss. So for those guys to step up the way they did against a good Houston team, and that is a good team over there, um, mm-hmm. I think it speaks speaks volumes as to first of all how well these guys are coached. I think that's that there's no doubt about that. And secondly, obviously how motivated they were and. Um, and so they, those guys deserve a ton of credit for that. Now, here's the question that I have as we get ready for um, as we get ready for the as we're in the bye week. And this is my question, just just to the two of you: What's the thing that, in your opinion, UCF needs to work on the most during the bye week that you want to see in these last three games against Temple, home against Temple, home Cincinnati, and at South Florida? Murph, I'll start with you. Creating more pressure uh, again, you know. I, I thought, the, and again, the, the, uh, it's funny that I say that because the last two games we've seen this team create the most pressure yeah. it has all season. But in Cantonia, you're losing your best TFL guy for the last season and a half, and one of your best pass rushers in Randy Charlton. I mean, I, I know the stats may not be there for Randy, but he was a really, really skilled pass rusher. Uh, and so now, without those two guys, plus obviously, you know. You have to also include the guys that they lost due to the opt-outs and Kalia Davis and others. Uh, this is still going to be – this is now a thinner defensive line. Uh, the guys are going to have to play more snaps than maybe they're used to just because there aren't as many bodies as there used to be. And can they still get the pressure with guys like Landon Woodson and Noah Hancock and Chris Deloach, uh, Traymond Morris, Brash, Cam Good, and others? Uh, that's what – that's really what you want to see now. Yeah. How about you, Eric? Brian's 100% right. So, I mean, that's the number one thing. I mean, you could argue special teams, but even special teams was pretty good uh, in the Houston game. Heck, we, you know, so I think that was a positive. Um, but I'm going to go in a different direction here since Murph kind of broke that down very well. I want to see the continuation of what we've seen the last two fourth quarters, which is UCF dominating the line of scrimmage with the running game and dominating the clock. Yep. I, I, I thought, and this might sound crazy. But I thought the fourth quarter of Houston was one of Josh Heupel's best quarters as a head coach play calling since he's been here. And you might think that's crazy. Like, what are you talking about? Basically, he just ran the football. Yeah, exactly. You know why I enjoy that? Because he didn't force, you know, the passing game. It wasn't clicking. Gabriel was getting pressured on. He saw that the running game was working. It helped complement a defense he was noticing that was playing really well. And I think he was like, you know what? I'm going to shorten this game. I'm going to help my defense and give them a break. And I'm going to just dominate the line of scrimmage and run this down Houston's throat. And that's what they did. And I think, to be honest, if Josh Heupel was in a truth serum, that's 
the physical running game that I think he has been searching for. Because people have questioned, man, he kind of gets conservative. He runs a lot. Yeah, they like the big runs. But I think deep down he knows for this team to be at that high level, top five, top ten, play with the big teams. And I think he learned this in the Fiesta Bowl. you got to be physical. And I thought that team was physical against Houston. And I think that's his long-term goal. And I think you saw that on Saturday against Houston. I'd like to see that happen. I think they're going to get opportunities to do that against Temple when they play. And the reason I bring that up, because come November 21st, if everything goes well, they're going to face a team that loves to play physical. And if you want to beat Cincinnati, you're just going to have to be just as physical as they are. And I thought that was a big step there. What I liked, what I saw here, not just that Houston fourth quarter, by him adapting to that, but we also saw that a little bit in the Tulane fourth quarter, and I think that helps your defense. 681 total yards for UCF in this game, 353 of them on the ground, 328 passing, and uh, for the first time since, I think it was, first time since Kevin Smith and Jason Peters, uh, UCF had two guys gain 100 yards on the ground in the same game, Otis Anderson and Greg McRae, not to be outdone, Benno Thompson, who had 87 yards. So uh, that tells you how good the running game was. And, you, and uh, you know, for Dylan, you know, actually, it's, it's funny how we talk about this like an average game for him. He was 19 of 33 for 328 and two touchdowns. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't you take an average day <laughs> like that? Um, oh, you're right. You're right. But again, I thought Josh did a great job of managing the game and understanding yeah. what was going on. And he didn't force the issue where I think in the past he might have. So I thought that was a big moment there for Josh moving forward. Uh, but yes, with Dylan, you know, for him, quote unquote, it's an average game. He's on pace, by the way, and this will be on blackandgoldbanneret.com in the near future. Dylan Gabriel, we're going to talk more about this, on pace for maybe one of the three greatest seasons that any UCF quarterbacks ever had right oh, now. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And, in, in, a, in a nine regular season game season, yep. too. Which is unbelievable. Can I, can I also chime in? Like we talk about Dylan Gabriel having, having an average game. It was really just a function of of, of UCF taking what Houston gave them. Because in the first half, yeah. Dylan Gabriel Dylan Gabriel was rocking it, right? It, but Houston basically uh, basically decided to take the, to do their best to take the pass away, and almost exactly like Tulane, dropping guys in the coverage leaving them thin up front, and Yusef says, okay, we'll run the ball. And what do they do? They ran the ball really successfully, really, really successfully. It's yeah. amazing to me that this offense, this offense has the number one quarterback in the nation uh, statistically right now and just ran for 350 yards. Uh, this offense feels in the last two weeks very this, – this offense feels indefensible, and so it's going to be fascinating when they play – Cincinnati, that, because this is a Houston run defense we talked about last week about being the best run defense in the American, and UCF shredded them in the second half. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing I think is probably the most intriguing about the whole thing is now it it, it used to be it it seemed to me like the the book on UCF was that they were sort of a one trick pony, you know, especially the the from the losses last year. Now it's getting to a point where it's pick your poison, and that's what's yeah. scary. 10th best rushing offense in the country, number one passing offense in the country, tied for sixth in scoring offense. That's, like I said, pick your poison. How do you want to get scored on this time, right? At the pace they're going, and, I, and I'm, it's going to be written, it's going to, I wrote about this uh, for this article. It's going to come out on blackandgobenary.com. They're on pace to be probably 
top two UCF offense of all time. You could make the argument they're on the pace to be number one. There's another offense that I give the edge to. You'll have to read and find out who that is hmm. on blackandgobanneret.com. Looking forward to that. All right. Um, let's take a quick breather. When we get back, uh, we'll talk. I want to talk. I have one question for you guys on football. Uh, and then we'll talk about men's basketball and baseball and some schedule news coming out when we return. Don't go away. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the show. Jeff, Eric, and Brian. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And of course, Black and Gold Banneret.com. We are SB Nation's home for your UCF Knights, who, as we just wrap up football for this week during this bye week, I know what you're going to say, Lopez, but I'm going to say it anyway. All right? UCF does still have an outside shot of getting to the American Athletic Conference championship game. Now, it is going to take a series of dominoes to fall, and probably one domino not to fall. Um, but it is at least possible. UCF stands at 3-2 and two in the conference, 4-2 and two overall. They are tied. They're tied in the loss column with Memphis, who's two and two. Um, who obviously Memphis has the tiebreaker over UCF right now. Uh, and then of course UCF is still trailing Tulsa, who is still three and zero in conference and three and one overall. Tulsa's tied for Cincinnati at, with first at, at first rather with at three and zero. SMU's three and one. Houston's two and one. UCF has the tiebreaker over them. All right. So, is there a path? For UCF to get to the conference championship game, well, it looks as though it would probably require Tulsa winning out, and then UCF getting the victory over Cincinnati two weeks from now, and then hoping Cincinnati loses again. They actually just uh, had that game with uh, uh, Tulsa postponed, I think, to the tail end of the season. Is that right? December 5th, Eric? For now, and I say that for now because on Thursday... Tulsa's game against Navy that was supposed to be played this Saturday also got postponed because right. Navy has a case with COVID. And this is the thing. Uh, the reason why I don't like these projections, dear, in, in a year like this. you Really? You don't like projections, Mr. All-I-Do-Is-Right projections? <laughs> I, I, well, I, but I'm, I'm talking about like trying to fit this year in particular. In a normal year, I would say yes. I'm not sure how many of these games we're going to get in uh, because – you know, there's going to be a question whether this Tulsa Navy game gets made up or not, and that's a significant factor in that. Now, I think there's a way they can do it. I'll be curious if they decide to move the Cincinnati-Tulsa game, which is, I believe, scheduled for December 5th. They could move that to December 12th and try to sneak in Tulsa Navy on December 5th. They cannot do it on December 12th because that's when Navy is scheduled to play Army. So mm-hmm. you got to get the how many and remember there's still a Memphis Houston game that's going to get made up in December. Yep. The my concern is you know and l- let's be real here, uh, COVID is up. It's up. It ain't going away. Yeah, we're having all a, right? we're all having a spike all, right now. In all, fact, we are actually all, seeing the worst days in the United States right now. All of right you now. people that right. So all of you people that thought it was going to disappear magically after an election, it's not. So I have serious questions. Number one. How are we going to have a bowl season with this going on? But number two, can we finish this? The Pac-12, as we were recording, just canceled Cal versus Washington uh, State. I believe, Murph, they're playing. You could, or Washington. It's one of the Washington schools. You could correct me on this, Murph. You're Mr. Mm-hmm. Pac-12. Um, just because he grew up in California doesn't necessarily mean he's a Pac-12 guy. But anyway, 
He's been in like a, he's been at like a thousand Pac-12 tournaments. I think he's he's earned the <laughs> the right to call himself if he wants Mr. Pac-12. It's Washington, by the way. It's Thank Washington. You. And there's some serious questions whether the Cal Arizona State game could even get played next week. So, and the Big Ten has lost games. We've seen what happened with Wisconsin. So, it's going to be interesting how the American handles all this because eventually they might run out of room and they we have to actually learn you know the full details of the tiebreaker. Now, that being all said. I don't necessarily agree with you that Tulsa has to go undefeated. and I mean, that's the simplest one right? Uh, where Tulsa goes undefeated. That means Cincinnati loses to them. UCF would then and would probably and you lose to and yeah Cincinnati loses to both Tulsa and UCF right that that would be the those would be the biggest dominoes to fall to get UCF to a cha- basically what I'm saying is that if UCF gets to the conference championship game chances are it would have to be a situation where they end up playing Tulsa again in Tulsa is what I'm saying that's the simplest version that's a simple I think there's another version could be where Cincinnati beats Tulsa. And then Tulsa drops a couple other games uh, like SMU and others, mm. and then SMU drop. But that's a lot more complicated to your point. So I think the simplest one is that. Whether that happens or not, I'm very skeptical because I think Cincinnati is legit. Top 10 defense. Ritter's playing at a high level. I don't know if Tulsa can beat Cincinnati, but you've you've circled. Now, the first thing is we're making – we're burying the lead here. UCF has to win out. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, you could forget it. And then we got to see if all these games get played. Um in that scenario, but I'll tell you something, Murph, I know you're shocked by this, but Mike Oresco was on with, you know, you know who, right? Mr. Paul Feinbaum show. Shocking. On, I mean, on Wednesday. They... <laughs> How did we miss this? And uh, let's just say he is very adamant that Cincinnati is definitely a playoff contender. And if they get all their games in, he thinks they should be in the playoff. Now, whether that happens or not, who knows? But I will say this, there has been a lot of Cincinnati talk from the media on a positive level as far as the playoffs concerned. And if the Pac-12 champion is not undefeated and with the, and the, and as I think as long as Clemson or Notre Dame beat each other up twice, I think there's a chance Cincinnati could be the representative of the playoff for the American. And I think that's what Mike Oresco wants to happen. Well, which is of course. ironic because, because I think you, the irony is UCF could spoil all that. I know. I know. <laughs> it's all full circle. Let, yeah. So keep throwing that rat poison at Cincinnati, everybody. Keep telling them how great they are. Right now, they're they're actually number six in the AP, by the way, uh, behind Georgia. Yeah, behind one loss, Georgia, by the way, uh, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. Um, they have four undefeated teams ahead of them. So. It's it's still an uphill. See Cincinnati. Now you're dealing with the same thing that we were dealing with in 2017. You're undefeated, yeah, surrounded they're, they're by actually, teams with losses. <laughs> but they're actually in a better position. They are. They, than they, UCF was. And they, the media, and, they got a boost they, because of the early season. Yes. Because, yes. because of the early season, not having the Big Ten in there, and then they managed. They they kept them in there. Well, and they've dominated on both sides of the ball. Like they have dominated SMU. And they've dominated Memphis. Held they, Memphis they, they to 10 handed, points. They handed Memphis. Murph. They, you, they I mean, took Memphis saw, out behind the woodshed, man. That Murph, was really Murph, something. Right. And Murph, you saw Memphis up close. They shut that offense down to 10 points. I think Cincinnati's really legit. And I know you're, you know, they, I, I don't see them losing to Tulsa. I think maybe UCF, but I'm not even sure UCF could beat them. I think if UCF improves in certain areas, they can beat them for sure. But remember, that game's going to be in the bounce house, but it's not going to be the bounce house of 2018 where it was packed and it was maybe the loudest I've ever heard that stadium ever. I mean, I don't know if you guys want to argue that. Maybe BC 2011, South Florida 2017, but I was loud. That's not going to be the case this year. It was going to be limited attendance. Cincinnati, to me, 
they're the clear favorite. And that's why I just don't – I think UCF's going to have to have Tulsa lose a bunch of games. and I, th- I just don't see Cincinnati losing multiple times, but I could be wrong. You, what's your thoughts on that? I want to be very clear. Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't care about this discussion at all. <laughs> okay. Thank you. One <laughs> – Okay, I do. I do. I'll jump in. All right, here is uh, Cincinnati's. Uh, here's here's Cincinnati's remaining schedule. All right, and this is interesting. Uh, this week against Houston on ABC at home, three thirty. ABC, ABC. You say right. Sean McDonough and Todd yeah. Blackledge for crying home, out loud. Hello. Fr- uh, Friday night, so relatively short week. Home for ECU on ESPN two. Then it gets a little hairy, all right? Saturday, at November 21st, at UCF. Saturday, November 28th, at Temple. Saturday, December 5th, for right now, like you said, Eric, at Tulsa. So they're finishing up with three road games. They've only played one ro- one true road game this season, which was at SMU. Of course, they bombed SMU 42-13, to but... You know, you play three straight games on the road. That's not easy for anybody. Here, I, and I guess, I guess this is where you would say, Eric, right? They get through that gauntlet. Congratulations, you earned it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's the thing. I mean, and they're cap- and again, they're capable of doing that. Like, and they're yeah. the type of team. I think they enjoy playing on the road with Luke Fickle. I mean, they were ready to go in that SMU. Well, game we, I don't think we have enough points. data points on that. We have only played on the road once. <laughs> well, no, this goes back to last year. They won some big road games to clinch the division. Remember? Oh, they're going to lose at ECU. No, they didn't. Oh, they're going right. to lose. No, they didn't lose that either. So, uh, look, I mean, that's a couple weeks away. Obviously, we'll get more into detail in the Cincinnati game. I think UCF's the biggest threat, clearly. But I don't think T- Temple's a, a, a threat. And I honestly don't think, based on seeing both teams, I don't think Tulsa can even score on Cincinnati. Well, we may or may not get the chance to find that out because here's, here's Tulsa's remaining schedule. Mind you, they just had their game at Navy postponed. All right, this, that was scheduled for this Saturday. It has not been rescheduled. Not like, as of uh, this recording. Not, not as sure of this that. recording, right. Now, they... They may play it on December the 5th. We don't know. All right, so so here's the situation remaining for Tulsa. They have three home and one away left to go. They're home for, scheduled to be home for SMU, 7 p.m. ESPN2 on November 14th. Big game. They're playing Thursday, November 19th at home against Tulane. It's ESPN 730 kickoff. Another big game. Uh, Saturday, November 28th, that's the Saturday after Thanksgiving, they are at Houston. That'll be big. And then, yeah. like we said, for now, home for Cincinnati on Saturday, December 5th. And you were saying that there's a possibility that because of the, their game with Navy got postponed, they may move that game. To, you're thinking that they'll, they could move I think that that's game their to option. the 12th I think that's their be- that's because, the only Navy, option. because Navy is playing Army on the 5th. Correct. Uh, well, no, no, no. Cincinnati's playing Tulsa as of now oh, December 5th. Navy right. Army is the 12th. Oh, so, okay, okay. Never what, mind. So reverse what, that. So what? Yeah, so what I'm saying is move Cincinnati-Tulsa to the 12th, then you could play Navy-Tulsa on the 5th. Remember, the American Conference Championship game is official now. It'll be December 19th. Mm-hmm. So you you could sneak it in there. I see, and you look at that schedule, Jeff, I would argue that there's a more likelihood that Tulsa loses three of those games than going undefeated. I think there's a better chance they lose those three games. I think SMU's losable. I think Houston could upset Tulsa if I, of the three teams they got to play, Cincinnati, 
Uh, SM, I think the most likely upset is Houston knocking off Tulsa. And I think, obviously, I think they'll lose to Cincinnati. So I think they could lose three times and be out of all this altogether. Wow. SMU, who no one seems to be talking about right now, is 6-1. and one. Uh, They have three games on the road remaining and one at home. At Temple, November 7th at noon. That's this coming Saturday. At Tulsa, 7 p.m. ESPN2, Saturday, November 14th. Home for Houston, Saturday, November 21st. At ECU, November 28th. You, I, I, I see two potential losses there for them. Uh, although I think they have an advantage playing Houston at home. I'm not. I'm not saying that that's that they will lose that game. I'm saying that is a losable game. Based it's on, a losable game, rivalry yeah. and all that. I think they're more likely if they're going to lose. I don't think they lose more than once. It could be at Tulsa. It could mm-hmm. be to Houston. I do, but I think they don't lose more than once. And me and Murph uh, picked them to get to the conference title game before the season started. I'm sticking to that uh, because I think they are one of the two best teams. I think it's going to end up being Cincinnati and SMU rematch. And then uh, Houston is – this is what the Cougars have – remaining on their schedule at least as of now again <laughs> it seems weird saying all this is subject to change no they, it really is they it have really is. they have they have the hardest road ahead of them yet they have yeah. five games left on the schedule we talked about the game at cincinnati 330 abc this saturday no Peyton, no peyton turner for that right. game and i don't know what the status is of marquez stevenson who left the game against ucf with a hamstring injury murph is that right I think it was an uh, ankle injury, ankle. but yeah, okay. he was. Yeah, he did not play. He did not play beyond the first quarter, which you have to imagine did impact that game. Quite no a bit. doubt. If, no he, doubt. if he doesn't come back, they're going to have a hard time winning some of these games that we're about to talk about. All right, so Houston. Then after that, November fourteenth, they're home for South Florida. That's a layup. Uh, yeah, that's they're true. at SMU on the twenty first. Going to be a tough game. Home for Tulsa on the twenty eighth. For now, and then at Memphis. December 5th. So I'm counting possibly three or four games that are toss-up games or certainly losable games for Houston, who's already at one loss in conference right now, thanks to UCF. So they have a very tough Yeah, I, I think they're out of it. They're out of it. I think they're going to lose multiple games, if not all of those games, especially if they don't get a healthy Marquez Stevenson. I yeah. think they're a different team with him than without him, and I think we saw that Saturday. I think they're a spoiler. If you're a UCF, if you're a UCF fan, you're hoping for them to spoil Tulsa or SMU or Cincinnati or all of the above or, <laughs> or some, some, combination. some combination of them, right. Yeah. Uh, and then there are two teams that are tied with UCF in the loss column right now. We'll quickly go over them. Navy, of course, uh, is uh, three and four. They have three games left on the schedule, at least as of right now. Of course, Tulsa postponed from this Saturday, so maybe four games. We again, we don't know just yet. Hopefully, we'll find out. They are home from Memphis next week, the fourteenth. They are at South Florida, the twenty-first, and they have no games scheduled until they play Army. Uh, on December the 12th. And in case you were wondering how good Army is this year, uh, I'm pulling up their record right now. They're pretty good. They're 6-1. and one. <laughs> Top 25 in the yeah. polls. You know who their loss to was? Uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati. That's right. Yeah. Now, you you have been, like, obsessing over the tiebreaker rules in the American. Did you ever figure that out? No. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> and then <laughs> Memphis – it's a mess. We, we can put a link to it, and if you can figure it out and describe it to us in 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 two minutes or less, congratulations. We'll actually have you on the show. Uh, Memphis right now is at three and two, uh, two and two in the league, 
And their remaining schedule, they have five games left. Uh, home for South Florida, layup. At Navy, November 14th, not so easy. Home for Stephen F. Austin, non-conference game. That doesn't even matter at this point. Uh, Saturday after Thanksgiving at Tulane, harder than it's than you probably think right now, although they should win that game. And then they finish the regular season home for Houston. So do you see Eric Lopez uh, another loss for Memphis in here? I know that that Houston game looks pretty tough, and I think the game at the Middies is going to be tough too, don't you think? If they could play that Tulane, I mean, the thing is Memphis has the worst defense in college football statistically. So when you have a bad defense, you're you're capable of losing any game. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I, I will. Say, I will say they they have an easier road than all the other teams we just. They mentioned. do. They do, and they have to win out, which is bad news for UCF. But I, I, I'll just and they have a history of really finishing season strong. Uh, but I, I'll say they'll drop a game somewhere. I don't know who, yeah. but they'll drop somewhere. Their only losses at SMU at Cincinnati. And, of course, nearly the loss to UCF, but you know, well, we know how that went. Well, right. that's the problem. I mean, UCF has a lot of – tiebreaker-wise, really has a lot of bad advantages here, and that's yeah. what's going to hurt them. And, uh, you know, this could come down to rankings too. And, I'm, you know, Cincinnati SMU will probably still be ranked higher at the end of the year if both teams kind of take care of business. Even if Cincinnati drops a game, they're not going to fall out of the top 20 in the polls yeah. or even in the playoff poll, which is probably how this is going to get decided. If there if there's a reason to have it decided by the polls, where's John King? I know he's a little busy right now. We could have him set, figure this out. Yeah, he's he's sitting in front of the ma- he's standing in front of the magic board d- describing what's going on in in uh, in Bucks County right now. I'm pretty sure. Uh, so so the games in the American this week we got uh, we got a couple we got a couple good ones. Obviously the Houston Cincinnati game. Uh, is probably the crown jewel of that. Should be good weather in Nippert Stadium, too. 3.30 ABC if you want to catch that one. Uh, for all the rest of the games, by the way, all you new ESPN Plus customers, you can watch those games. They're all at noon on ESPN Plus. SMU versus Temple, South Florida at Memphis, and Tulane at uh, East Carolina. If you want to keep an eye on uh, SMU and what they do up in Philly, uh, you'll have your chance to uh, do that. Shane Bichelle and company making the trip to play the Owls. Go ahead. I'd like to chime in here as we wind down this conversation. Okay. We're we're having this conversation like three weeks too early. It is we it just, is the bye week. I mean, I'm trying to fill here. No, Jeff, <laughs> it's a short show. Why are you trying to fill? Uh, yeah, yeah, fair point. Show? No, we're we're Look, doing good. We're doing it. Listen, all right. Let's get if, to the things we said we would talk about. If, if UCF right. if UCF doesn't win out. None of this matters. Right. So, I mean, Murph's right about that. No, he's right. Murph, no, here's – and in Jeff's defense, Murph, he was buying you time, so you finished up this article that's on blackandgoldbetteret.com. So right big now. news that came out Thursday night. Right now, right now. And probably inadvertently spilled by one Bruce Pearl, head coach of the Auburn <laughs> Tigers. Uh, Murph, with a Murph bomb today. Uh, the, Absolutely uh, not. Absolutely. Not. <laughs> this might be a, a, more of a Bruce Pearl bomb. Bruce I don't bomb. know what, what well, I don't know what the what would be the proper word to use with Pearl. I don't know, but uh, uh Pearl well here uh, Pearl told the Opelika Auburn news uh, uh, uh earlier today uh while going over his team's uh schedule for this uh, for the early part of the season prior to prior to when the SEC announces their uh conference schedule which will be coming out tomorrow for basketball. Uh, he said that uh, UC- that Auburn will play UCF in Orlando uh, following their opening weekend. They're down and they're going to be playing in a tournament in Fort Myers. Um, mm-hmm. 
and then uh, and then coming and then on the way back, basically hitting uh, hitting UCF in Orlando um, uh, before heading back home to uh, Auburn. So Murph, big big opportunity for Johnny Dawkins and company, and another addition to the uh, home schedule, huh? It's another it's another big name program, you know, being added to the non conference league that already contained. Oklahoma on November 28th, and now you've got probably Auburn on the next week of, uh, uh, you know, into, into probably in early December, if not late late November. Well, definitely early December. And then Florida State on December 19th, and then Michigan, the Michigan Wolverines. Um, that's, that's quite a four. UCF has now got its hands uh, into four of the uh, power conferences in in basketball, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a good get. I will say, Auburn for those who don't follow college basketball really closely has been very 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 good the last few years under Bruce Pearl. They reached the Final Four in uh, 2019, won the SEC, SEC tournament last year or not last year but in 2019 as well. Uh, they were 26 and or 25 and six last year. Um, a, a really good team. Uh, I will say this year they might be having some growing pains because they basically lost their entire roster, uh, a bunch of starters, uh, some one uh, a one and done guy, and a likely recruit who's going to go play in the G League instead of going to Auburn. Um, so they're they're well, they're down a ton of guys. They're only bringing back about 14 points from all of last year's team. Uh, but Bruce Pearl's a good coach. Uh, anybody who's watched him coach at, at uh, Tennessee and. Was he, he was at Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I believe, before that. Yeah, and, Wisconsin, yeah. Green Bay, and yeah. took and took them to the tournament as well. Um, and I will say, there's you know, if there's one guy you want to watch on on Auburn. They have a one and done kid named Sharif Cooper, uh, a six foot guard out of Georgia, um, who's who has a lot of um, you know, like I said, a one and done possibility around him. Otherwise, it's going to be Auburn trying to de- develop a lot of reserves from last year. Um, but but you know, we can look forward to that matchup later. The fact is. UCF now has, thanks to Bruce Pearl, has four really marquee uh, non-conference matchups, and and certainly more to come. Because without UCF, you know, being able to play in one of those uh, multi-team events in Disney, because none of those none of those events are being played this year, UCF needs to sort of scramble to pick up uh, to pick up uh, more games. And you can almost bet that you can almost bet this game came about because. Because Auburn was playing in this tournament in Fort Myers, which, by the way, that tournament in Fort Myers also con- also includes Gonzaga and Kansas. So, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing them here either. But I, it, it was probably a discussion. Like I would, I would bet like John, either Johnny Dawkins called Bruce Pearl or Bruce Pearl called Johnny Dawkins said, "Hey, I'll be in the area, or you guys will be in the area. Why don't we schedule something since you guys are here?" And that's probably how this all came down. And. Voila. So call up the other that. schools and you're like, hey, you guys want to come over too? <laughs> hey, hey, <laughs> hey, Mark Few, <laughs> come on so, down. And, and and like that, UCF has Auburn probably in early December. It's a cheaper flight to Seattle from Orlando than it is from Fort Myers, I'll tell you that. Well, and look, I mean, I think everybody's scrambling, right? And the scheduling right now, I mean, it makes a ton of sense. Hey, you know, he called somebody up. Hey, hey, I'm in town. What do you think? We played a couple days. I think that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> but, but. Credit to Coach Dawkins, though. Doesn't this show, though, the respect that Coach Dawkins has in this industry? Very like, much so. I mean, uh, and Brian wrote about this on blackandgobanneret.com. Look at this schedule. And I and we're going to address, there's a question that was sent to us uh, as soon as Murph broke the, p- posted the story from Chris Bogan 
about whether people could actually go to see this game. We'll address that in a second. But you got Oklahoma and Auburn back-to-back home games, going to Michigan, going to Florida State. Unbelievable. Unbelievable job. Uh, Because I know people have asked about, is this just, you know, I don't think this is just fluky, hey, we just are desperate for a game. Let's get. I think there's a lot of respect for Do- Coach Dawkins and the program as a result of what Coach Dawkins has done at UCF. And now you're seeing the fruits of that label with marquee games being uh, teams willing to come here for you know to play here or play wherever. I, I think it's phenomenal. If, I'm, if you're a UCF basketball fan, which I am, and Jeff, you and I have covered and followed this for a long time. I mean, we used to get excited that one year where Auburn agreed to play in Daytona Beach. Right. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> You know, and then play Florida and Jacksonville or whatever, and that was it. I mean, now we're getting marquee games with marquee programs with marquee coaches, and it's a credit to Coach Dawkins. I applaud him for what he's doing. Yep. I saw that. Now, now, but let me let me address Chris Bogan, Murph, UCF, and Jeff uh, asked this question, uh, which we don't have an official, but he did ask this question, so I think it's fair that we uh, bring this up. Basically, will fans be even able to watch these games? against Oklahoma and Auburn in person. And I think the answer officially is we don't know, obviously. I don't think that many people yeah, we don't know, know. But we don't know. But if we had to guess, Murph, at best, limited, right? Oh, absolutely limited. Yeah. I mean, absolutely yeah. limited. I mean, I, I'm not even going to throw out a guess there, but they will. I'm sure they will try to pack in some fans. I don't believe they're going to – I don't believe they'll be playing in empty arenas. Obviously, it's trickier because you're indoors – um, but I, I don't believe it'll be fully empty like the NBA. I, I think they'll have some fans there, but heavily, heavily limited. Yeah, well, I mean, well, the, the other thing is obviously the COVID situation, as we alluded to earlier, is uh, changing by the moment. And we don't know, again, we don't know what date this game would be. Um, we know that the uh, Oklahoma game is set for the 28th, but that's 23 days from now. Right. So, this game, and this game is being aimed toward early December. Yeah, basically. so... So we just don't know. We just, we have no idea who is going to be there and how many. And so, I mean, I I, I hesitate to even speculate. But anyway, no, nope, right? Because nobody knows. We don't even know where yeah. where are we, right? You know, right. So, all right. So, men's basketball uh, schedule filling out. You know, who else you know who else's uh, schedule might be filling out here? Uh, UCF baseball. And uh, now, Eric, you had uh, a couple. You actually said that you you had some scoopage you wanted to share with us because. Um, the initial, uh, well, Murph, you actually saw, you saw this too. Um, it looks like we're going to be having four game series in the American this year for baseball, which I don't know, Murph, maybe we should just, maybe we should just get you like that RV you've been wanting for a while and you just park out front of, uh, John Juliana park and you know, you don't have to go anywhere, you know, you just stay right there. I don't know. I mean, it's not like I hate that. I, I don't mind the idea. I want to say that, yes, there's a possibility that we could have four-game conference series this year, really four-game series this year throughout the season, but that is not set in stone. It's, it's, you know, you know, it's an option on the table uh, for the American. Uh, but it's, that was thrown out there by Kendall Rogers of D1 Baseball. Uh, but as far as I know, I'm not even sure what Eric is about to say. I, how do I not know this baseball information that Eric is about Lopez, to say? But... what do you got? No. <laughs> Get some music. Get some music. All right. All right. Here's, yeah. here's, the, here's, here's the Black and Gold Banneret breaking news stinger. All right. So to expand on what Kendall Rogers, D1, we've had, reported uh, that the American, if they don't play a not normal 
schedule in the spring. They'll they'll go with a 56 game schedule, 14 weeks, four game series. Everybody home and home. I think they're going to still try to play non-conference. I have been told by people in the league that right now it seems the direction they are going to go with a four-game conference series for baseball and softball. That's not done. It is not done. They votes. If we've heard this week, votes got to count. All right. So they got to vote. They got to count right? the votes. Count the votes, y'all. Count them all up. We can't. We can't just stop the county. We can't do it without you know. Uh, so they're so the coaches got to vote on this. But the thinking is that baseball and softball will have a four-game conference schedule because even if you do play a non-conference schedule, you're probably going to be limited on how many non-conference games because, for example, guys, as we know, who does UCF baseball usually schedule, as an example, year-round? Our Every friends year. from Siena, right? Correct. Well, there's a problem. They're in the Northeast. What The odds of Northeast schools coming to the state of Florida, which a lot of t- Northeast schools do, are pretty slim right now. Yeah. So you're going to lose some games like that. So I, I think there's a very strong possibility. Plus, Murph, as you know this, from a baseball, and Jeff, you've covered the league as well, the league is a top-five league. So the thinking from the league's perspective is your best chance for postseason and success is, hey, your best games, instead of trying, you know, lose the losing those marquee some games in the non-conference, you'll make it up by playing the tough competition in the league by playing four games. That would be... If they're able to keep a non-conference schedule and not do what Kendall and, and the, I think Kendall's report is more of a well, we got no other options type of scenario, which could happen. Uh, is that would be what twenty-eight conference games played because there's eight teams in the league in baseball. Keep this in mind: softball is only seven teams in the league mm-hmm. because remember Connecticut is out. There's other schools that don't play softball like Tulane and others. So softball would be a, a four games short. Uh, I, you know, I don't think they're going to just agree to a conference only because they're going to be short on games. They're going to want to add some games. And I think they will. I think you're going to see it. Softball is unique because, for example, I would not be surprised if a UCF would play Florida, who they play every year anyway. Maybe they play a doubleheader instead or Florida State. That's all speculative. So they can make up games easier than baseball can. I think baseball is more worried about you know, how do we make up all these games? I think that's going to be interesting. And and Murph, you and I have talked about this. It'll, it'll be interesting how they schedule this. Is it a Thursday to Sunday schedule, or will they do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday with a doubleheader mixed in? We don't know that yet either because the coaches have to figure that out. Softball, I think, if they go to four-game series, will be a single game with a doubleheader in between somewhere there. I, I think that's – and I think baseball may consider doing the same thing, which we saw in person last year, Murph. Uh, with Lovelady there against Siena and then against CSUN. Yeah, and we've seen scheduled doubleheaders on Saturdays, and those seem to work. Uh, I would think that if you know, uh, you know, between those two scenarios of is it Thursday through Sunday or Friday through Sunday with a doubleheader in between, I think the latter is more likely, uh, definitely, because both you know teams have experience with that. So, <laughs> so we'll see what happens from the baseball softball scheduling standpoint of Kendall Rogers. Let me add a couple of notes because there's other notes I have from the league with other sports. Okay. I've also I've also been told that right now volleyball and soccer for the league is looking at a late January start. We're talking January 22nd time frame there. Obviously, again, I want to emphasize this. Subject to change, as we have just emphasized on this show, the one thing we've gotten right on this show is there's a lot of uncertainty out there. We're seeing that with football. We're seeing that with basketball. But I've heard late January, uh, 
volleyball is going to be limited travel where they're going to play at a certain location uh, twice instead of home and homes. Soccer is going to be staying pretty normal. We kind of have an idea of that. But late January start is the target for the league they're hoping for. And then obviously go through April, which means good luck to everybody there this spring when all the sports are going on. The other thing is there is talk within the league that the indoor track season might get scrapped so they could fit in cross-country with the outdoor season and track. That's the other thing they're kind of also uh, possibly going in that direction. Hmm. It's kind of a bummer, though, because the American is pretty good on the in the indoor track season. Yeah, but surprising. We'll go right to the outdoor track, though. That's, you know, right. like you're saying, well, hopefully, hopefully we'll get they, those meets off. From what I'm told, they can't fit all three in. I yeah. mean, and that you know, that was a question we brought up, Jeff. Can you get cross-country, indoor, and outdoor? I don't think they can. And remember this about the league, even though UCF's not involved in this, there's other sports. They're also like swimming. They host swimming championships Mm -hmm. where they're not going to do – they're going to actually do social distancing, which means it's going to be a lengthier process because you're not going to have like six swimmers swimming at the same time because it's just – so they're going to – it's going to be a lot less. So they've been been figuring that out. They also have lacrosse. So that's why all of – I don't think we're going to get a clear answer officially on what's going to – the baseball softball schedules will look like possibly till mid to late December, maybe even January. Yeah. All right. Well, at least we have some working days that we'll be keeping an eye on once they go official. We'll definitely uh, let you know. But uh, excellent job, you guys, on the uh, on the scoopage. And Eric with some insight. Wow. That's what we Trust all came me, here as, for. As a softball guy, I keep counting down the days. You know, Murph, <laughs> you know, we hear Murph obviously bummed out. No baseball. Trust me, Murph. I'm just as bummed out as well. Okay. With no softball and baseball. I'm, I'm just counting. I'm hoping. Well, fine. Look, we got, we got plenty of football to watch, including some good American Athletic Conference football this weekend. We'll be fine. We'll be all right. Everything's good. All right. Let's go ahead and wrap this thing up here. Don't forget to uh, follow us at UCF underscore banneret, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, and, of course, blackandgoldbanneret.com. It is the bye week. We've got a couple things coming out that you're going to want to definitely uh, keep an eye out for. Uh, things that we've had in our back pockets for a while that we're going to that we're going to be uh, sending out, including some uh, historical stuff in particular. Elo, you've got a piece uh, that you uh, that I think you got set ready to go for, or actually you helped uh, Andrew Glukov out with the All FBS team for UCF. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. This is the 25th season of UCF football in the, as an FBS member. Uh, they started in 1996, so we got some. Uh, there are some. Po- there are some folks in our audience who are like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> yeah, years. tell me about it. So Andrew's done a great job. He's got an all FBS team. I've got or like the. T- I have a list of the top 25 games in FBS history uh, coming out soon as well, as mm-hmm. well as the article I teased earlier about is this the best UCF offense of all time? I break down some of the achievements that UCF is on, you know, on track here in the next few weeks to try to chase down, which is fascinating. Uh, as well so that we're working on all that Murph mentioned this earlier uh, obviously Andrew will have post-game reactions he does his knee-jerk reaction articles and we'll have some video after each game as well that we a lot of we got a lot of positive feedback about that after the Houston yes. game this People I'm very love- excited about this is new and we're going to start doing this after every and it's you guys doing it right it's yeah, Andrew yeah, and and me, and, me and Brian and, and Eric doing this. This is great. Murph will make some cameos. Probably not the Temple game because it's a freaking seven thirty kickoff time for crying <laughs> out loud. Oh man, Murph, oh. I feel like you know I I feel like your rant a couple weeks ago, Jeff. You weren't here when you you were off. Murph went off on a rant about wanting early start times for the rest of the year, and I feel like the league just heard that and just decided to screw him. 
again, we go through this every single season. I know the fans like the night games because it's just it, it gives them more time and, and they get home in a fine hour too. Uh, for the people like us, and I'm going to obviously mention some first world problems, like elitist journalistic first world problems. I get it. I am sick of getting home at two in the morning after these four hour games and then a presser and then doing work in the press box. It stinks. Like like Jay Sherman at the old critic show. It stinks. I hate it. <laughs> Why can't we just start at noon? So in other words, Murph probably won't join us for the next uh, for the Temple uh, post game uh, that we might. I'm probably gonna call nightcap because that's literally gonna be a nightcap uh, on that. <laughs> we, we well remember we did the night shift. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So that. let's let's stick with that and uh, and and we'll get together I, and we'll 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 polish that off for you guys so you can actually make it, make it. Go I feel really though good. if I call it nightcap, that might encourage Murph to come on because you know of obviously yeah. uh, a reference. <laughs> well, would, yeah, right. I was just about to say, I remember the night shift. I think I was in the night shift once, and I was drinking just on the night shift. Were, it was yeah. great. <laughs> I was drinking straight out of the bottle. That was fantastic. Right there on video. It's, yeah. Well, if you want to go back and relive that or some of our other great moments on video, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, <laughs> where uh, you can get all the latest uh, UCF news from, uh, from around the world of UCF sports. We are, of course, part of SB Nation. Thanks again to everybody. Uh, for all their contributions throughout this bye week. Thanks again to you guys. Excellent show. Thanks again to you, the listener, for uh, da- for downloading and listening to our show. Uh, if you don't already, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and if you do already subscribe to us, make sure you leave a comment or rating and tell a friend about uh, uh, about our show because we'd love to hear from you. And uh, and and like I said, we want to keep want to keep Scott with UCF Sports uh, to all who will listen. So for Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We will catch you next week. Enjoy the bye week, everybody.